Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Greg. Praise the Lord, man. It's awesome to be able to experience baptism in God's house to celebrate what God has done. Hello, online people. Hello, Genevieve Pinta. Hello, Jean. Uh, hello, all of you out there. It's awesome to be with you and have you join us uh, online. But great. Thank you for being in the building today. Uh, it's awesome to see you, to see your faces. We're in a series called The Gospel-Shaped Family. We have one more week, and then we'll be starting the book of Acts. So I'm really excited about that. We look forward to being on mission in the book of Acts. Next week, I'll be talking to those of you who are thinking of getting married. So we'll be talking about get preparing for marriage. You say, well, I've already been married. I'm a widow now, or I'm a widower, and I'm done with this. And you can still pray for those, and you have influence over people all the time who are thinking of getting married. So it's going to be next Sunday, be our last um, sermon in this series. But today, we're talking about the gospel-shaped marriage. How does the gospel inform how we live together as husband and wife? We're going to answer the question, how do I live as a married person? How do I live as a married person? Because it turns out, for most people, they have a challenge in their marriage at some point. Amen, married people? Just nod your head. Some little bitty challenge, maybe really minor or maybe really difficult. But marriage, it turns out, can be a challenge. And so we want to talk about how the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin, how it informs my marriage. So grateful for marriages in our church, for Bob and Avery Rusbolt, and for Robert and Betty Gravens, who are 70 plus years. Amen? Right? We're 70 plus years. Praise the Lord for them. And uh, grateful for that. I was talking to Robert Gravens one time, and they've never had a fight, turns out. Amen, Robert? You're going to nod at me? He's not even going to nod. He's not even going to say anything. Um, can be a challenge, though. I got good news, though, today. The problem in marriage is the problem of the heart. We're going to talk about that today as we consider this. What is marriage all about? As we talked about last week, marriage is what? God designed marriage for what? For two people, two different people, two complementary people to work together to achieve God's mission, right? That's what it's all about. It really isn't for you to live in wedded bliss for the rest of your life. That's only a byproduct. We get that backwards off and it's like, well, you know, I want to get married so I just be happy the rest of my life. I just want to live a Hallmark movie, you know, which all the Hallmark movies end at the wedding or right before, right? Yeah. You ever notice that? It's true. It's like every Western. They ride off into the sunset. John Wayne gets the girl and they ride off into the sunset. That's it. There is no Western about marriage, right? And there is no Hallmark movies about marriage because then it gets a little challenging. It can even be difficult. There's going to be issues that you're going to have to overcome. Husband and wife get married. They are two different people made of the same stuff who have different but equally important roles. Husband has to make sure that he leads appropriately. 
we see this as God gave him what? God gave him the vision. He says, listen, you are to care for, to manage, to propagate my creation, to rule over my creation. And all this also, Adam, don't forget, listen, remember that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you need to stay awake. You can eat of any tree that you want, but not of that one. And then God makes Eve, and Adam was to share that, that vision of God's assignment, but also share that warning with Eve. And God held Adam responsible when that warning was not heeded. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, the word of the Lord says this, as right after the fall happened, right after the forbidden fruit was eaten, the word of the Lord says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Man, let me just ask you, has God called to you recently? Where are you? Where are you? Maybe he's calling to you right now. Where have you been? So glad you came into my house today. Can you imagine being Adam and Eve in this garden that God created and God shows up and says, where are you? But the Lord God called the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, sin makes us vulnerable. And it makes us feel uncovered. It makes us feel very vulnerable. Verse 11 says this. And he said, he said, you, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's the perfect answer for every problem. It's her fault. Gee, God, whatever's going on in my life, it's the woman's fault. And it's not only the woman's fault, but God, you gave me the woman, so it must be your fault, God. You allowed this to happen. Surely it's your fault. It can't be my fault. Whew. A lot of material there, isn't there? The heart of the problem in marriage is the problem of the heart. See, God was holding Adam accountable. Adam, I told you this, how could this happen? See, men, we typically kind of bounce between being overly oppressive and overly passive. See, Adam stood by and watched Eve interact with the serpent and watched her take the fruit, and then he ate of the fruit rather than saying, wait a minute, this is what God said. See, Adam wasn't deceived. He knew. He knew better. He knew better. He heard the voice of God. Man, you have a responsibility before the Lord to lead your family. It doesn't mean you have to make every decision, and you shouldn't. You need to lead your family in conjunction with your complementary wife. You are to work together to decide what you're going to do. But you need to make sure, men, that God's mission goes forth in your family. You don't have to make all the decisions. You have to make sure all the decisions get made, that your family is intentional about following the assignment, the mission that God has given us to lead people from death into life. And that your marriage is a picture of Jesus and his church, as we talked about last week. If you missed that sermon, you might want to pull it up on YouTube or Facebook. That's our role, guys. But you know what? Your wife has some expertise that you don't have. She, God has gifted her in ways he hasn't gifted you. He's given her some things that she can do very well that you're not really good at. And let me just give you one silly example. You don't need to get involved in her hair or beauty regimen. 
You just need to make sure you don't even question what it costs. Amen, God? Shake your head, yes. It's worth every penny. I don't even know what it is, frankly. But let me just tell you, you want your wife to look great. Amen? Just say amen, guys. It's your chance. Amen, pastor. That's what we want. You want her to look good. Stop complaining about the fact that she got her hair done. Rather worship the, hey, praise God, you look great, honey. You want her to look good. Now, there's much more serious examples. God's given you a gift in her. There's some things that you need to just go, yeah, that sounds awesome. She may be, in my case, I married friends and furniture, amen? Julie had furniture, and she was our connection with friends. I'm kind of an introvert. I'm a little awkward sometimes. I know you can't imagine that, but Julie's the fun one. I married many other things that she's really good at, but I'm not so good at. And there's also things in decision-making as couples that one of you cares a lot more about than the other. You know, the color of the paint of the house. Our house is pink on the inside. Fine. It looks great. Would I have chosen pink? Probably not. But I think it looks really good. You getting ready to paint over that? Praise God. But um, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> There's things I care about that she doesn't care so much about. We needed a new car. Our car had gotten really old and really wasn't safe to put on the road. And I thought, you know what? did the research, I love cars, and I found a car that was very reliable, very safe, uh, was going to be a great vehicle for us, I thought this is going to be good, went to the dealer, uh, started out, drove on the entrance ramp to get on I-95, hammered that throttle, not much happened. We got to speed, but it did take a while, kind of felt like I was led Fred Flintstone, or I was riding a bicycle, come on, we can get there, we can get there. My wife, who knows how much cars mean to me, she looks at me and she said, well, how is it, honey? Well, it's fine. Now, my wife knows me, and she said, well, we're not getting this car. I go, what do you mean? She goes, we're not buying any car that you say is just fine. It means too much to you. To her, she'd be like, I just care that it gets me to point A and B and has an air conditioner. That's really all that matters. But to me, it's got to get up and go a little bit. We didn't get that car. We got a better car. There's things that are going to be different between these things that she's going to be good at, things that you are going to be good at. Husbands, you need to make sure decisions are made. You make sure that you and your wife decide those things together. Very rarely, but at times, you are going to have to make a husband proclamation. Anybody know what that is? That's when you've run out of time and a decision has to be made. Standing on the platform in New York, you got one train here, one train there. Somebody's got to make a decision. Is this the right train? I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? I don't know. Let's just jump on a train. Somebody's got to make a decision. It happens, but it happens rarely. You should get to the place where you've agreed this is what we are going to do. Sometimes, though, husbands are a little slow to this. And they're saying, you know what, I'm tired of fighting that battle. I just want to give her whatever she wants. I, I just want to let her do whatever she wants, and I'll just stay here and watch the Dolphins get beat by Tampa Bay again. I'll just stay, I'll just, just let her have. Listen, that's exactly what led to original sin. We'll put Jesus on the cross. See, Jesus was not a weak leader. He was a servant leader. He was a loving leader. 
He was a leader that drew and enticed and invited people into his mission. Let me tell you, if you were a prideful Pharisee, he was pretty hard on you. But if you were a humble prostitute, he gave you grace. Guys, are you leading like Jesus would lead? There's a common thing today where guys say, I just want to be nice. I just want to be liked. I just want to make it. Listen, your family needs for you to be a leader like Jesus. Needs for you to lead in a way that would lead your family to the place of following Jesus. You say, well, she's more spiritual than me. Well, you need to work on that. You don't really have to be all that spiritual to say, Jesus, I want our family to reflect you. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have a seminary degree or two or three. You just have to be committed to let Jesus lead through you. Wives, you may say, well, he never leads that way. I don't know what's wrong with him. Let me ask you, have you ever responded to him when he tried to lead a little bit? Did you see? And he said, you know what? I think we should pray together. Did you jump? Yes, I'll pray with you right now. Right now, I'll pray with you. I think we should go to church. Yes, we'll go to church. It'll be amazing. I'll do that. Yes, we should go to small group. Yes, I'll respond to you. You see, oftentimes people will say something like this. You know, it's really a pretty good marriage, except we have a problem with communication. We just can't talk to each other. If we talk very long, it turns into an argument. And so communication is our problem. Let me ask you, is that your problem at work as well? Do you argue with your coworkers over where to put the trash can? Do you argue and fuss with someone who's even with you in your workspace? Are you constantly arguing with people? I can tell you, if that's the case, you probably don't have a job. The problem isn't communication. The problem is your heart. People say, well, my problem is money. We, we just fight over money all the time. We just can't get it right. We can't decide. Let me just ask you, if I give you a million dollars, could you agree on how to spend it? Probably not. If you can't decide what to do with the little that you have, you're certainly not going to agree on the big things in life. The problem's not money. The problem is your heart. You say, well, I, I, we just fight over time and, and over tasks, and, you know, whether he's going to do the laundry, I'm going to go to the grocery store, he's going to wash the car, I'm going to sweep, but whatever it is. Really? Is that really your problem, or is your problem that your heart is in conflict with her heart or with his heart? Some couples say, you know what, we, we struggle with our physical relationship. It just doesn't go well. Just know this, your sexual relationship is a picture of the rest of your marriage. When that doesn't work, there's a problem with the rest of your marriage. The problem of marriage is a problem of the heart. But there's good news. Jesus died to fix our hearts. James chapter 4, verse 1, is where we'll spend the remainder of our time. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And just see what this verse, this passage, see if it relates to your marriage. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? Your desires, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, next verse, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now here's what he's saying. 
The reason we fight in marriage or any other relationship is because our desires are out of line with God's desires. I want this. You want that. You're thwarting me for having that. I want to spend money on this. You want to spend money on that. And we're at war over what our desires are, over what our passions are. And what James is saying is you are just like the world. You become a friend of the world. You're thinking like the world, that marriage is something you're supposed to be in in order to gain for yourself. What did Jesus do in his relationship with the church? He gave himself for his wife, the church. It was a sacrificial relationship. You desire and you do not have, so you get mad. You don't, may not murder someone, but murder is cut from the same cloth as anger. So you find yourself constantly being angry. Let me just ask you, it's one of the biggest problems in marriage. Is anger a problem in your marriage? Is anger a problem in your marriage? That's not how God designed marriage. So often people say, well, everybody fights. My parents fought. They were married for 100 years. You know, everybody fights. I've heard all the couples I know fight. Listen, you don't have to fight. You just need to deal with your anger. Deal with your heart. It took me seven years, Julie, to deal with my anger. I love to help you with that. So you mean you never get angry? No, but I don't, I don't yell anymore. I don't raise my voice to my wife. I love my wife. It's not to be a tool to use to get your way, to stomp around, to give the silent treatment to lock yourself in the bedroom, to throw things, to use bad language. I didn't do any of that. I just raised my voice. But a lot of people, anger is expressed that way. You don't need anger in your marriage. It's not helping you. That's how the world functions. And when you function that way, you're acting as an enemy of God. You wonder why marriage is difficult? That's one big reason right there. You ask because you ask wrongly. All you want is for your desires to be met rather than for Jesus to be glorified. That's why your marriage is struggling. Verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship of the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is for no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously for the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Catch that last phrase. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Anytime we're prideful thinking, I know this, I've got this, this is how it's got to be, I'm being prideful, I'm the one in charge here, you're missing the point. God's opposed to you. God's opposed to you. He's looking for a humble leader who will say, I want to lead this way. I want to inspire. He's looking for a humble wife who say, I want to help. I want to participate. I want to make this family all that it can be for the glory of God. I want my husband be all he can be. And husband, I want my wife to be all she can be. I want there to be this sense of glory in our relationship because what Jesus is doing. I don't want to operate opposed to God. So I don't either, but if you're all about your own selfishness, 
you're all about your own will, if you're all about your own anger, if you're all about your own desires, let me just tell you, you're operating in opposition to God. That's why you're not happy. The good news is you can absolutely improve your marriage by dealing with your own heart. There's one thing you can say, I, I just want to help my marriage. There's one thing. Can, can, deal with your heart. First, before you drag her to counseling, and you should go to counseling, but listen, before you do anything else, before you say you need to straighten up, deal with your heart. It will absolutely, I can guarantee you promise that it will help your marriage if you deal with your own heart. I can't guarantee you'll change him or her, but I can tell you you'll stop being a burden and a barrier to them to come to Christ. You'll stop being a burden and a barrier for them to deal with their own heart. You know what else will happen when you deal with your own heart? You let Jesus clean up your heart? You're going to be a lot more at peace in the midst of the storm. You can absolutely improve your marriage by dealing with your heart. Someone would say, well, how do you do that, Steve? How do you do that? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Before we go any further, let me ask you, if God told you what to do this moment in your marriage to help your marriage get better, would you do it? If God told you, if he wrote down on the wall at home, if he miraculously, when you turned on your computer the next time, if it said, this is God, I need you to repent, would you do it? Or are you so stuck on them changing before you change? Draw near to God. Submit yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Interesting that James would put the enemy in there. The enemy loves to wreck marriages. He loves to get you off track. He loves to start you thinking, for you to think all about yourself, for you to think like the world thinks. See, every time you have a thought that's in opposition to God, it is the work of the enemy. And you need to resist that. The world tells, says I should stick up for myself. I should make my wife do what I want. I should make my husband. That, that's the world thinking. Listen to what he's saying. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The enemy just having a field day in your life, in your marriage, is there any resistance at all? Resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. And I love this. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I remember learning this as a kid. You, in the old King James, it's, it's draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And I remember, what does nigh mean? I don't know what that means. So glad for the newer translations. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do I draw near to God? Well, it's really not that hard. You're here. Praise the Lord. Coming to worship is a way for you to draw near to him. Spending time in the word of God, extra time in the word of God, is a way for you to draw near to him. Spending time in prayer, extra time in prayer, is a way for you to draw near to him. As I've been saying a lot lately, I feel like no one ever said to me, I wish I'd prayed less about my marriage. No one ever said, I wish I had prayed less for my children. I wish I had prayed less about a situation. I wish I had prayed less about a decision. I always hear people say, you know what, I made that bad decision when I was away from God. I was far from him and I made a bad decision. Yeah, I hear that over and over again. But I never hear anybody say, you know, I was really close to God. <laughs> I wish I hadn't been. I never hear anybody say that because it's not true. You draw near to him. Worship, 
your own personal study of God's word, your personal time in prayer to hear from him, to share with him your heart, and yes, to get good godly counsel. So many times people will wait, couples will wait until they've already, their love has already grown cold and they don't even, they're not even angry anymore. They just don't want to be together anymore. They wait that long before they get help. Let me tell you, everyone needs help at some point. I, there's probably some couples who don't, but I don't know very many. We got help, year six, year seven, and a guy said to me, you're an angry man, and I hit him in the face <laughs> to prove him wrong. No, I didn't really. I was going to go home saying, Pastor, hit somebody, I said, I can't be right. No, but I praise God for uh, someone who cared enough to say, listen, this is what's wrong with you. Can you bear that? Can you bear for someone to say, hey, this is what's the matter with you? This is what you need to repent of? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And listen, in that process, you're going to find some stuff that's wrong with you. That's good news. That's really good news. Because there's something you can do. Because you're responsible for your own soul before the Lord. When you find stuff that's wrong with you, you cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. I can go to Jesus and he's promised, 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sin, if I own it, if I say, yes, it's me, I have this sin in my life, if I will just own it and confess it and quit pointing the finger, the woman that you gave me, God. No, the man that you are, Steve. I want you to forgive me, Jesus. I'm an angry man. I want you to forgive me, Jesus. I'm a passive man. I want you to forgive me, Jesus. I'm a rebellious woman. I want you to forgive me, Jesus. I'm not a very happy person. God, would you bring joy into my life? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We confess our sins. He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The heart of the problem in marriage is the problem of the heart. Been married, I guess, about six years. We had two children, a boy and a girl, awesome kids. We started to talk about a third child. We'd always thought, you know, we're going to have three or four kids, but really, you know, we were getting into our 30s, mid-30s, thought, you know, maybe we should stop it too. We had a disagreement about whether or not we should have a third child, and it was a very um, important decision. You can't have half a child. You can't compromise about this. It was a very serious thing. At one point, Julie said, well, I'll, we'll have a third one. I'll just do it because you want one. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want you on that table screaming at me. You wanted a third child. And then when the child you know, needs to be cared for, this is what she would never do, of course. But I had to make that decision. Talked about it, different aspects, things that needed to change, worked through some issues. But really, we're still kind of at an impasse. Finally, on a walk on the beach in Naples, as we were teaching at a, at a singles conference, we decided mutually, hey, I'll tell you what, let's just see if God would change one of our hearts. I'll be glad. She said, I'll be glad for God to change. I'm open for God to just change my heart. I believe he has one purpose for us. I believe he has one plan for our family. I just need to make sure that I'm willing for him to give it to us. So we did. We spent some extra time with the Lord individually. God, change my heart. Change us into one. Let's make sure we're on the same page here. 
I thought that God would change my heart for sure. A couple weeks later, I get a call. I'm on a trip in Miami. She said, you know what? I'm really ready to have that third baby. God just moved miraculously in her heart. You may have that going on in your marriage right now. There's something you just can't get over. Would you mutually submit to the Lord? See what he would do. We have an awesome third child, incidentally. Um, praising God for John. And um, problem in marriage is a problem of the heart. Our heart just needs to be aligned with God. It needs to be cleansed. Couples, today, would you resist evil? Would you resist the devil? Would you draw near to God? And as he reveals things in your heart that need to be repented of, would you repent? Ask him to cleanse your life of that sin. Some of you may say, you know, Steve, I, I, I get that. That sounds really nice, but I, I've never received that Holy Spirit. I've never received that gift of salvation. I, I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a good husband or good wife, but I don't think I have that power you're talking about. I don't think we're submitted to the same God even. I want to ask you, would this be the time that Jesus is calling to you, saying, would you be my child? Where he's drawing you, saying, would you receive me as your Savior? Would you repent of your sin and in faith say, Jesus, I need you to come in and cleanse me? Would that be maybe what's happening today? See, no one receives Jesus because they think it's a great idea. It's because he has knocked on your door and said, I want you to be my child. Today could be your day as simple as asking him to save you, repenting of your sins and asking him to live his life through you. How might that change your marriage? Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out we cry out